Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-hosts Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Our first guest is a successful candidate for the United States Congress in the 10th Congressional District of Washington State. And she is the first African-American, Korean-American to be elected in the history of the state of Washington. And I'm talking about none other than Marilyn Strickland. And my co-host Hayward Evans is on the line with us. So congratulations, first of all, Congresswoman-elect Marilyn Strickland. Uh, By being the mayor of Tacoma for uh, two terms, you're probably intimately familiar with the workings of Washington, D.C., because a lot of times local cities have to go back there to make sure they bargain and twist arms to get the money that's necessary to run a successful city. So congratulations and share a little bit about a little bit about your background and also then a little bit about your vision. Great. Well, thank you for having me on the show, Eddie and Hayward. And we are thrilled to be the winner of this very competitive election. There were 19 people in the primary election, and we finished in the top position in August. So we had some momentum coming into the November election. But as you know, we had to fight for every single vote, and we did just that. So we were very pleased with the results on Tuesday night. Um, As I think about going to Washington, D.C., of course, my preference is to work with a Biden-Harris administration. And we know that we have a lot of work to do. We are still in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of an economic crisis. And even though America has a short attention span, we still have to deal with racial inequities and injustice. And so, you know, you're right when you talked about the relationship that city government has with the federal government. And we would often spend time in Washington, D.C., lobbying for funds for mass transit, for housing, for different programs. Um, You know, I've even spent time with the Department of Justice trying to get funding for community policing. And so you are so correct when you talk about the strong relationship between local government and the federal government. So it'll be my honor to go to D.C. and represent to try to get us resources here in the 10th District. And what are your top priorities, before I go to Hayward with the question, what are your top priorities for your district? Yeah, you know, I will say that, you know, it's for my district, but it's really for our state and our nation. You know, by the time January rolls around, we will still be in the middle of a pandemic. I remain optimistic that we will pass some kind of a relief package by 2020 that this current Congress will. But even if they do pass something, we will probably need more relief, you know, in 2021. And when I talk about relief, you know, this is pretty straightforward. We need to get cash into people's hands. And that's everything from extending unemployment to getting a relief package that provides funding at state and city government. It includes, you know, getting money into the hands of small businesses, especially minority and women-owned businesses, so that they can stay open and continue to hire employees. It's money that will help, you know, firefighters, educators, first-line responders, our tribal nations, you know, all kinds of funding that is just essential right now because right now the biggest risk with the coronavirus is that it's created an unstable economy and people's basic needs aren't being met. So that would be the first priority. The second priority would be, you know, really working on what we can do for an economic recovery. And as I knew in Tacoma, by investing in infrastructure, and that's everything from bridges to mass transit to upgrading our you know, energy grid so it's clean power to address climate change, and even affordable housing as basic infrastructure that addresses some of our big problems, and it puts people to work in high-wage jobs. And we have to make sure that the contractors and the people who are working reflect the entire community and that we're not left out of opportunities for our communities to get access to those jobs and those contracts. And then finally, Eddie, oh, and Hayward, I would say, you know, just 
really revisiting the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that was passed by the House Democrats and seeing if we can just get some traction and get something passed out of Congress so that we can address these issues around accountability and safety for our communities. I want to see if my co-host Hayward Evans has a question or a comment for you. Congresswoman-elect Marilyn Strickland. Congresswoman, I love that. Congresswoman-elect Marilyn Strickland. <laughs> I just, that, it flows so beautifully. Uh, you know, my question has to do with committee assignments. Have you had an opportunity to think about which committees you'd like to be part of when you go back to D.C.? Oh, thank you for that question. So I've been asked that question a lot, as you can imagine. And, you know, for me, the committee assignment always has to be firmly rooted in what the needs are of my district. And we know up and down the I-5 corridor from Everett down to Tacoma, Olympia and Tumwater in Lakewood, we have a housing crisis. We do not have an ample supply of housing. And because the inventory is so low, the prices are just so high and unaffordable. And so one committee that interests me is the House Financial Services Committee, because they have oversight of HUD. They deal with housing a lot and they deal with financial institutions. And you all know the relationship between lending and the ability to become a homeowner. So that's one interesting thing to me. The other committee that's interesting to me as well is the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, because coming back to my other statement about getting this economy going and just how, you know, the infrastructure in our district is desperately in need of upgrading and expansion. And we just know that transportation is so crucial to participating in our economy and moving people and goods and services. And then finally, the other committee that interests me is the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And people sometimes say, well, what does foreign affairs have to do with my life here at home every day? In the 10th district in Washington state, quite a bit. International relationships actually drive our ability to have good trade policies that create jobs here at home. We have a military base in the middle of our district, Joint Base Lewis-McChord, and we know that having strong international relationships helps with national security. And then finally, just understanding that this is a diverse district, and you know, as a woman who is half Korean, a lot of folks are interested in the relationship that the U.S. has with the Korean Peninsula, everything from travel to immigration status to national security. And so I'd say those are the three committees that interest me because they'll help the district and they'll also help our state. Well, I think those committees are absolutely, absolutely excellent. In terms of the stimulus package, mm-hmm. uh, how do you think it's going to impact us here? Do you, you, I heard you say you think it's going to be, um, they're going to approve one by the end of the year. You think that's going to happen? You know, I hope they do. You know, and I say this because the Democrats passed the HEROES Act back in May. (laughs) And then, you know, they've been trying to negotiate something and then the election came along. And so I'm hoping that they will go into a session and do something. I think the question is going to be, you know, the size of the package, because that seems to be the details that they're grappling with. I do believe it is crucial to provide direct relief to states and cities, and I say that coming out of local government. And so I'm hopeful that whatever they pass, number one, will be sufficient enough, and number two, will keep cities and states in mind, because those are the government entities that provide essential services to people every day. That $600 a week would have really been a boon for the economy, especially for smaller businesses. Now, it's my understanding that 40% of the Black-owned businesses have gone out of business. And I was just wondering... What can we do to ensure that uh, that we participate? And uh, Hayward and I, we have uh, want to make sure that African descendants of the United States enslaved are participating at the table because, you know, the women have their own program. It's primarily for white women. But there is nothing specific for the people that's been here for 400 years. 
And I would really like to see an effort made. I've talked to several members of the Congressional Black Caucus about it, having a federal designation in every federal agent, agency for African descendants of the United States enslaved. We know that black folks already worked in the government, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just cut up the pie a little bit to ensure we participate. Because history, even in this state, tells us when they say all minorities and women, blacks end up at the back of the pack. I know. I think that's really important for us to be intentional. And, you know, as you said, Eddie, the number of Black-owned businesses that have gone under is disproportionate compared to how many there are overall. And, you know, I want to point something out, too. Even before COVID happened, there were inequities in our society. And so as I think about the things that we can do to support Black-owned businesses, if you have the ability to be a customer, let's support them. Number two, as we look at relief funds, and this is why I think it's important for them to go through states and cities, because city government has the ability to focus in very specifically on the communities that they know really well. And in Tacoma, for example, you know, we have the Minority Business Development Agency at City Hall that we put there intentionally so that we can focus on trying to help businesses. And so I think, again, it makes sense as we talk about relief funding to send it directly to cities because they know their communities best. I think the other thing that's important, too, is just to be vocal about it and just say, look, we're talking about relief packages, but we have to make sure that members of our congressional delegation, not just Congresswoman-elect Marilyn Strickland, understand the need and the significance of making sure that it's equitable. And that is very specific to all communities of color, but more specifically to those of us who are what you said, descendants of slaves and the African-American community. And if everybody had a, uh, uh, like a Tacoma Pierce County Black Collective, they would be much further ahead as well. So <laughs> I, I applaud the efforts of uh, uh, Co-Chair Lyle Kwasim, the late Harold Moss, Tom Dixon. Um, I can't remember Miss Mabel's name, but all those folks that have been there for 50 years and they're at the table when decisions are made in the city of Tacoma and in Pierce County. And you have, uh, I mean, a plethora of talent and elected officials. So... Uh, Man, like I said, not every city in Washington State, but every city across the country needs to have a, a black elected. So uh, I wanted to see to if Hayward, I want to see if Hayward Evans had another question before we went back to you. Uh, uh, Representative Strickland, I'm just so darn proud <laughs> that you won. I, I'm, I feel <laughs> giddy over here. But you, when you get there, in, in light of what's going on, this this uh, this true polarized positions that people are taking. How do you feel? How are you going to reach across the aisle and hopefully get some Republicans to, to see your view? Well, you know, it's interesting. When you think about the effect of COVID, of the economic crisis, and all the things that we're facing as a nation, it affects everyone. And so, you know, as we look at this next session of Congress, it is my hope that we're going to be able to say to everyone, whether you are on the Democrat or Republican side of the, of the aisle, is, look, this affects all of us. You know, what is our desired outcome? You know, how do we work together to figure out how we get people relief and get this economy back on track? I think another thing that's interesting, too, though, is even within our own parties, we have to find a way to come together. And so first and foremost, it's getting together in our caucus to say what's our desired outcome and then having those relationships. Everything you do when it comes to being a policymaker is driven by relationships. Do you have relationships? And we have to be willing to put our differences aside and figure out how we get to our desired outcome. We want to address this pandemic. We want to get this economy back on track. And I will come back to this again. And doing it in a way that is equitable and focusing on underserved communities benefits all of us. 
sometimes a conversation is framed as a zero-sum game. If I help the African-American community, then I'm doing it at the expense of another community. That is not how it works. When we mm. uplift the communities that are underserved, everyone benefits from that. It's good for all of us. And that's the argument that I really try to make when I talk about equity. And I sometimes get pushback from people who are uncomfortable about it. Like, it is not a zero-sum game. It uplifts everyone. You're absolutely right. And a lot of times, if, if African descendants of the United States and slave are included, it helps everybody else anyway. Because we have to go back historically. We know who, had, who kicked the doors in, who got the program started. But once again, we have that institutionalized racism that's going to work against us every time, even though we created the programs for folks, for opportunities. And not only that, but like your dad went to battle in a lot of different countries around the world to ensure that people had freedom. And then it's unfortunate, but some people come here after we fought for them and died for them, uh, uh, be against our will and against uh, what will help uh, help benefit us. So it's really uh, unfortunate that this is happening. But like I said, I am not ashamed about advocating for my people who have been here 400 years, who's still looking uh, for equality. And that's African descendants of the United States and slaves. So, uh, uh, Congresswoman elect Marilyn Strickland, I'm sure glad you're going to be there. Uh, I know that uh, uh, Angela Rye and myself did a lot of work with uh, members of the Congressional Black Caucus, making sure they were on the right side of the page because we didn't have everybody working for you, as you know, but that's competition. So I was hoping that we'd have to get uh, Dr. E. Bay Williams on the line. This uh, person I want you to meet by phone. Uh, uh, Dr. E. Fay Williams is on the line right now. Dr. E. Fay? I am. Yes, of course. I want you to I want you to meet and greet the first African American American Korean Congress a member of Congress from Washington State. Her name is Marilyn Strickland. She was a mayor of Tacoma, Washington, for two terms. And uh, 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 member elect Strickland, when you get back to Washington D.C., I want to make sure you get with the national chair and CEO of the of the uh, of the. Uh, National Congress of Black Women, Dr. E. Faye Williams. She can be a tremendous help to you in terms of mobilizing the stuff. I've been to their breakfast, brunches, but the lab, we didn't go this year because of the virus, but you'd be surprised with the number of folks she had. Uh, last time, uh, 2019, it was uh, 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 the sister from uh, Boston, uh, uh, Sheila J- Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 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 pronounce her name for me again. <laughs> Miss um, uh, Presley, Miss Presley, Presley, Ayanna mm-hmm. Presley, uh, mm-hmm. Barbara Lee, and I need to see all kind of people. Uh, the the descendants of uh, uh, Madam C. J. Walker, uh, uh, Harriet Tubman, a sojourner. I mean, she has them all there. Well, so I just want to make be, sure uh, with us too, because we, you know, I'm from Louisiana, and we honor the one drop of black blood makes you black. So we'll be honoring her at our next event. <laughs> you hear that, you hear that Congresswoman <laughs> elect? That's, that I just want to make sure to you. Know, well, I just I want to make sure to you talk to Dr. And, uh, Ife Williams. Call on me should you need anything. Um, we'll we'll be right there for you. We always welcome all of our sisters to Washington. Thank you so much. It's so nice to know that I have um, a lot of folks there and a welcoming home to be. So thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you in person. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Thanks. Congress uh, Woman Elect Marilyn Strickland. Thank you very much for your time today, and I'm gonna send you all Dr. Ife's contact information so you'll have it. All right. Well, thanks again for having me on the show, and I'm always happy to be here to talk with your audience. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Congratulations. Okay. All right. Thank you. Be well. Okay. Well, Dr. Ife, I want to make sure you met the the sister that's going to be having holding the mantle for for Washington State, really, when you look at it. What's uh, her name again? 
uh, Marilyn Strickland. She's Strickland? the former mayor of Tacoma, Washington. Okay. Okay. And uh, yeah, so anyway, she uh, overcame a lot of the, well, folks. She she was outstanding, and then she also had this group in Tacoma called the Black Collective that was mm-hmm. diligently behind her. And because mm-hmm. she's a well-known person, serving as mayor of Tacoma for two years, for mm-hmm. two terms, eight total of eight years, people knew she was a known commodity. So why don't you share with Hayward Evans and I what's the latest with the National Congress of Black Women and what you're up to being uh, sheltered in place? Well, you know, we are, first of all, just sitting on pens and needles waiting for uh, the final vote to come in. We're hearing good things about, you know, what is what is going on. It seems that our candidate, everything is moving toward him right now. Uh, we're hoping that we get a, a settlement on tonight, if not tonight, certainly tomorrow. And uh, we're just, we've been carrying on just as though there were no virus in a way, except for the fact that all over the country our chapters have been honoring the, the masking rule, the distancing rule, and not meeting in person. We even had our big event this year virtually, and we had more than uh, 2,500 people on the program, you know, uh, virtually. So we were really excited. And we uh, had wonderful people on, like Cynthia Marshall, the CEO from the Dallas Mavericks. We had the mayor of New Orleans. We had Ambassador Arcana. Uh, we had uh, that, that bad sister, the AG from New York, Letitia James, was one of our honorees. And the other bad sister from Atlanta, we honored Stacey uh, Abrams. I mean, we just had a wonderful time this year, even though we couldn't be uh, in person. And as far as our chapters out there, they've been working, they've been picking up senior citizens, taking them to the bank, taking them to their doctors, taking food to them. You know, we uh, we black women don't ever stop uh, serving. When we are in a service organization in particular, we make sure you understand that that is what we do. That's what we're all about is giving service. So we never stopped doing that. Well, I'm glad the sisters are out there because I was really disappointed with some of these high-profile brother- brothers uh, Ledge brothers, I should say, with uh, with uh, Donald Trump, uh, mm-hmm. Little Wayne, Ice Cube, uh, well, Fifty I think Cent. Little Wayne has paid the price already. They tell me his girlfriend quit him over that issue. <laughs> <laughs> well, she need to. I tell you one thing. I saw Ice Cube on the uh, mm-hmm. promoting something, and I called the station and said. Uh, melt that brother. He don't deserve. I will not do any business with him as long as he's on there. And that's what well, has that to happen. A, that, we that can't stand traitors. Mm-hmm. You, that is the best way you handle him because, after all, all of these guys that have been in the news um, uh, and, and that we see as traitors, they made it on black people, on these young black people buying their music, going to support their events. But that has got to stop. And we've seen uh, several people saying that I won't deal with them anymore, won't go to any of their shows. And I think that will teach them about the, the logic. And who are they at this point when our ancestors have died to give them rights to vote and they vote for the party that is trying to take away every right that we have? It's real. Yeah, I want to see if my uh, co-host Hayward Evans had a question or comment for you, Dr. Williams. You know, first, Dr. Williams, first, Dr. Williams, I want to thank you. Uh, Given what's going on, how do you think we're going to uh, show up? Are we going to have a number 46 or is 45 coming back? Oh, yeah, we're going to have a 46. We're going to have that one pretty <laughs> soon. All we're doing is waiting for the votes to come in from Philadelphia. All roads lead to Philadelphia, and we know those are our votes. We know that there is no traitor there in Philadelphia. So we're feeling very confident about that. We have, you know, four or five uh, roads to getting to that 270, but we can get it in one 
uh, one set of votes, and that's out of Philadelphia, and it's over for number 45. Now, what do you think about number 45, sort of acting like a child, going to try to declare he's the winner? Uh, what's going on with this guy and his team? I think you give a child a bad name to compare uh, 45 with the child. I think the child would be better than what we're seeing. Every uh, case that he has taken the court, they're running over to the court thinking the court is going to save them. Every time they have gone, they have lost the case. I think they're up to seven now, and they've got a few more outstanding. And we just pray that they lose those two so that we can go ahead and get this out of the way. But uh, it seems that... Um, uh, Vice President Biden is also doing very well in Georgia. We can see the importance of those sisters led by Stacey Abrams in Atlanta and the work that they have done down there. That's a possibility. But again, our hope is in uh, the first, you know, early uh, to have that uh, Pennsylvania vote because we believe that that's where we can get the, the 20 votes that we need. We actually don't need all 20, but that 20 would resolve it. You know, and it's interesting, uh, before Dick Gregory died, he, he basically, you know, told me what was going to be happening here and how uh, number 45 was going to behave uh, when he, when, you know, when he lost, because that's not something he has done in his life is lose, no matter how much he has cheated people, no matter how much he has taken away from them. And somebody with over 25,000 big lives, they don't even count the small ones. There is no way in the world that Barack Obama, when he was president, would have gotten away with even three or four or five, you know, big lies. But this is a man who has over 25,000. And you know what? I am so disappointed. I thought we were becoming a better country. But when you look at a race that is this tight, no matter how it got to be that way, we know that there is no improvement. And there's so many hateful people out there who still support racism, who still support sexism, who still support homophobia, and who still are not interested in the health of the people in this country. Dr. Williams, I'm glad you said that because I was I was literally surprised that he got that many votes. Mm -hmm. How can somebody go in there and vote for this man? I just don't I just don't get it. Yeah. What 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 would uh, enable a person to go out there and, and vote for number 45, considering everything that he's done and what yeah. you just shared with our listening audience? Well, you know, uh, when, when this this race is over, we've got a lot, a lot of work to do because we've got to undo a lot of the damage that 45 has already done uh, to our country. It's not going to be easy sailing. We're going to be going back trying to recoup and to make us a better America, which we thought that we were becoming. We made the mistake of believing that that's what was happening when Barack Obama was, um, you know, elected as president. But then we, we got 45 behind him. And his main mission was to tear down everything that this black man had done because of their fear that somehow black people are smarter than they are, and we are, and that we were going to uh, do to them what they've done to us through the years. But we don't. We are humanitarians. We, we respect uh, God's children, and there is no way we would do to them what they did to us. But look at what they're doing, rushing up to these polling places, trying to intimidate and harass people who are simply counting the votes. 
I mean, they, they can't even wait because they so uh, know that they don't deserve to win this case, so they're pretty sure they're not going to do it. So they're starting out early, even trying to tear down the election process and to have somebody that they're supporting who treats us like he's an authoritarian leader from some country that, you know, maybe none of us have ever visited. We've looked from afar at what happens to the people there, and what happens is not in their best interest. And 45 has shown us that's exactly what he wants to be. He wants to be the big man. So I think this election is going to bring him down to size. We'll just be so excited when he leaves Washington and goes on to wherever it is he wants to live. You know, he said he might have to leave the country, and that would certainly be a blessing. But he can I can go somewhere else. Another country that would accept him. There you go. Dr. Ife, I want to thank you very much for your time today. Is there anything else happening that the people need to be made aware of that the organization is engaged in right now? You guys do so many things. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. And we look forward to your being here when we honor your congresswoman. All right. Now, I hope okay. I hope the virus is gone so I can be there in person. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Thank okay. you. God bless. Okay, Dr. Ife. Thank you for all the work you and your organization do for the people. So thank you. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Before we do, I want to say that Urban Forum Northwest is brought to you by Sound Transit's uh, Labor Office and Civil Rights Office, the Port of Seattle's uh, Diversity Contracting Office with me and Rice, the City of Seattle's Purchasing Construction Services Office, Liz Alzier, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, they're still gearing up out at the airport, Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitson and Concourse Concession with David Fukuhara. Hopefully things will get back to normal and the guys at the airport will start kicking up high kicking, as I Fletcher would say, kicking some high dust up. But anyway, let's take a break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150. But before we go to David Hackney, I want to remind everybody, Brother Brian Cole, Cole Cleaning, if you're going to be stuck in your house and your carpets need to be hooked up, this brother has all the latest equipment. 
His number is 206-721-7723. Brian Cole at Cole Clinic. Go ahead and get them carpets clean. You're going to be stuck for the next seven, eight months. So our next guest is um, uh, legislator-elect uh, David Hackney, who's been elected to the State House of Representatives in Washington State from the 11th District. He defeated an incumbent. And David, welcome back to Urban Forum Northwest. I was glad you uh, showed up for the Candidates Forum we had a couple of months ago. So why don't you just share with our listeners uh, your thoughts? And if you want to extend any thank yous to your supporters, you can do that as well. And then we want to talk about your vision uh, for your district and for the state. Okay, well, thank you very much. And thanks for the opportunity in the Candidates Forum and, uh, and today. So yeah, really excited. Uh, we got the election results in on Tuesday. I was able to win by over 60% against an 18-year uh, Democratic incumbent who outspent me uh, three to one. But, you know, uh, I've been an attorney for uh, approximately 25 years, and I've worked in both uh, domestic and international criminal and labor law. And But I really think it's my lived experience that tells you more about what kind of legislator that I'll be. You know, uh, I come from a proud union family. Uh, my grandfathers were union men. Uh, one escaped the uh, Jim, Crow, Jim Crow South, and the other survived the Depression because they had unions fighting for their economic and civil rights. And I'm going to focus on strengthening collective bargaining and also addressing income inequality. When I was uh, in high school, guidance counselors told my family that I was not college material. But because of the love and support of my family, and importantly, investments by my community, I was able to obtain degrees from Cornell University and Harvard Law School. I'm going to fight to meet the educational needs of every student in my district so they can reach their full potential. And while in high school, my best friend was shot to death by another teenager who should have never had access to a firearm. I believe gun violence is preventable, and I'm going to fight for responsible gun laws in Washington. And finally, my senior year in college, my mother uh, was diagnosed with terminal cancer at a time my family did not have health insurance. The subsequent medical bills crippled my family financially. I'm going to fight for a health care system that can uh, cover all residents of the state of Washington. And those are the kind of values and lived experiences that I'm taking to Olympia. And uh, that's a fantastic resume background, and you know what hard times are like, and you know what it's like to have things to, to level a playing field. I want to see if my co-host Hayward Evans has a question or comment for you. You know, Representative, I'm so I'm so proud of you. I'm just proud of all these people that are stepping up to the plate and doing doing great things. Uh, I have a couple questions. One has to do with the committees. Have you got have an idea? of the committees that you would like to be assigned to, but I'm going to digress and go back. I love when you talk about income equality. That's extremely important. And, and the fact is an airborne pathogen doesn't care what race you are, where you live, anything kills everybody. And so I'm glad you're talking about healthcare being a right, not just a privilege. But again, the committee assignments, have you had an idea of what committees you'd like to get on? Yeah, I've been, you know, so I'm getting more and more educated. So, you know, right after you get a, uh, a big victory margin, you know, I got calls from uh, Speaker Lori Jenkins and other members of the House Democratic Caucus to talk to me about that very thing. So I would like to get on a money committee. 
one, one I think is really important is transportation. Uh, I would like to get on a couple of policy committees. Given my experience in law, I, uh, civil rights and justice committee, but I've also, as you mentioned, I was also uh, formerly uh, an attorney for the Nature Conservancy. So also I'm really interested in the Energy Environment Committee, um, uh, as well as the, uh, you know, uh, gaming uh, committee as well. You know, you gave me an opportunity. It's not, I didn't get a chance to say thank you, but, you know, I grew up in this community because I was get the opportunity to serve on the board of Tabor 100. Uh, with Ollie Garrett and Brian Sims and, and, and these other community leaders. And uh, I think I'm going to continue to support them. Uh, I don't think I'll be able to remain on the board, but not only did they give me amazing financial support uh, during this campaign, but also just networking and getting my name visible. And I could not be where I am without Tabor 100. Yeah, I know uh, we've had uh, Henry. I've been waiting to hear back from Henry Yates about the latest uh, initiative that Tabor 100 is one of their new digs out there. Matter of fact, we'll be dropping something similar in a couple of weeks on a program that we'll be talking to you and other members of the legislature about. Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos has been like our kind of go-to go person. She was sponsor, was the sole sponsor for House Bill 1918. They created the Central District Community Preservation and Development Authority. It, what, the facility was initially built to train African descendants of the United States enslaved. It was called the Seattle Opportunities Industrialization Center, SOIC, and that was part of the Great Society programs. And then uh, when Ronald Reagan came in, he defunded all the manpower programs. So once again, uh, we received another empty promise, but we are working to make sure that we are included and it'll be good to have you in Olympia because you know what it's like uh, when you're dealing with trying to get a share of the public dollar for our businesses. And uh, I don't know exactly what it looks like now, but to be honest, uh, African-Americans, uh, companies owned by African-Americans of descendants of United States enslaved for the last three or four years I checked have never received over 1% of the state buy. And then the subcontractors, primarily in transportation, uh, don't do very well. There are about four or five black firms that went out of business because of the, of the discrimination of the tunnel project. And there was all kind of hearings and stuff, but they put these folks out of business. They own, lost everything they own. And everybody knew that the tunnel partners, the two people, the two companies comprised of tunnel partners were ruthless and had thousands of complaints against uh, uh, filed against them, but it made the folks no difference at Washington. So hopefully we can get a little closer look on that as well. For definitely sure. Yeah, I need to mention Henry Yates. Henry Yates is probably the, one of the most important uh, people uh, in my uh, my career. Henry Yates, not only is he one of the most knowledgeable people, I think, in the state on government affairs, but he's also one of the most generous in both his time, his financial support. Uh, Henry Yates, by far, has just done great. Uh, Abdul Youssef on the board of Table 100 representing the uh, African community here in South King County has done great stuff. But I think you're right. I think, you know, we have Tabor member Bobby Forch, I think who has done great work that I'm hoping to connect with. And I'm hoping, Eddie, you'll see that I'm going to be one of your go-to uh, people as well. Um, I'm not here uh, to not use this opportunity uh, to improve my community. That's why I ran. That's what I'm going to do. 
and I am not going to be one of those folks that is merely trying to stay in office or get to another office. If I can't use this office effectively to help my community, then I'll get something else to do that. I'll find another tool. But I'm going to make a difference. I, I, I promise you that. Uh, and, I, and I do believe you. And uh, I want to let everybody know that I do know uh, Davis' cousin, Nicole. She and my daughter, Angela Rye, are real good friends. She's a mover and shaker <laughs> in Washington, D.C., so I have to drop that because she sent me a couple of texts. How's David doing? How's he doing? I said, I'm going to have him on the air. I think he's going to do fine. So anyway, you have to yeah. let Nicole know everything went well. I'm sure she knows already. Yeah. Hey, would you have any question or comment for, for yeah. Representative David Hackney? Yeah, Representative Hackney, you know, uh, Senator Bob Fosley-Gawa has, has been trying to sponsor the uh, um, a bank, Washington State Public Bank. And so I'd just like to know your position on that, because, again, considering addressing the issue of economic disparity, if we controlled our bank and we were ever able to leverage our own money, that could save literally millions of dollars just like they did in uh, uh, South Dakota, or is it North Dakota? One of the Dakota. North Dakota. Yeah, North Dakota. Yeah. They have a state North Dakota bank already has the banking. So what's your position on having a, a Washington State Investment Trust Bank? Well, fortunately, uh, Senator Bob Hasegawa is my senator. And right. uh, I, I look up to him. He's obviously a very, he's been, uh, uh, I believe, eight years in the House uh, before going to the Senate. I am 100% behind him. Um, the benefits are completely outweigh the costs and risks. Not only are we paying a private company fees um, to manage the affairs of this state, those fees do not come back to us in any way, shape, or form. We can save those fees and invest them into our community. In addition, banks are there to make a profit. Um, we need to make sure that, obviously, we have to be financially sound, but we have the opportunity to focus on projects that are, uh, have the biggest impact on our community. When we're looking at economic policies, we're looking to make sure the policies are inclusive. Are they going to provide benefits to everyone in the community and not just to the top uh, people in the financial? Are they going to be impactful? Are, is, the, is the initiative going to be big enough to actually make a difference? And is it going to be immediate? You know, we are in a financial crisis right now. Uh, we need to have both short and long-term um, returns on our investment. But we are losing uh, small businesses and minority-owned businesses by the hundreds a week because of this pandemic. We need to immediately address that. We need to, and a public bank would be a great way. Uh, we have our rainy day fund. And of course, we have to tackle our upside down regressive tax system where poor people pay a much higher uh, proportion of their income uh, in taxes than wealthy people. This, this economy has been designed for wealthy people. You know, political inequality leads to income inequality. And uh, I hope you also noticed there are probably six African-Americans that are going to be in the freshman class of the Washington uh, state representatives. Um, along with the, uh, the current four, that will give us 10 uh, African-Americans. And um, I, I know them. They are an impressive group. I'm proud to be a part of them. And we are going to make sure the focus is on making sure these, 
that we address these economic issues uh, immediately. Well, you guys have enough members to start a, a black caucus. We have a black caucus. We already have one. Deborah okay. is the chair. But when we add six more people to currently four, it's going to be much more powerful. Uh, Deborah has also been a leader in our obviously in our community. Um, yeah. I'm looking to her, you know, to, for mentorship and guidance um, as we uh, come together as a collective and really begin to identify and address the needs of our community. This is obviously the most the most African Americans they've ever had in the history of the Washington uh, State House, and if we don't show that that makes a difference, then it's going to send a clear message that why bother. So we have an obligation to show you to say to people that things are going to be different because of the African-American caucus, the black caucus. Because of us, things are going to be better. All right, David, I want to check, right? Uh, uh, Eric, do we have Sade Moore on the line yet? I want Sade to meet uh, David before David leaves. David, Sade Moore is, uh, uh, is a, a younger person. She's a chair of the Seattle Martin Luther King County organizing coalition that sponsors the March and the Rally every year. She's a secretary of the board of the Central District Community Preservation and Development Authority. And she's a younger person uh, and that she's really active. But I want to make sure you know her. She was down in Olympia with us the last couple of years, too, making sure we got the legislation through for the, the Development Authority and also the initial financing uh, for the building to get the repairs made. Shadi, are you there? I am here. Well, uh, 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 legislator-elect David Hackney from the 11th District is on the line. I want to make sure you met him by phone. So when we go down there with our hands out, you know, he'll know who we are. So uh, David, <laughs> Shadi nice Moore, to, uh, she's, a, uh, she's a senior manager at Amazon. Over the phone Thank under you. these nice circumstances. Um, I spent, a, I spent a, a brief period of time at Amazon. So if you're a senior manager there, that's very impressive. I am, and I appreciate it, and I just found out today I'm getting promoted, so I'm even happier. Congratulations. Thank you for that. I'm very ecstatic. Well, it sounds like All right, a great then. resume. Uh, I, I want you to know that my door is open. Uh, we are open for business. I'm open for business now. I haven't even been sworn in, but um, I, I look forward to joining, again, the colleagues. Not only do we have an Af you know, a, a black caucus, but we also have a member of color caucus. And right. I think that's how they're about organizations. Um, we could make a real difference. And, and we no have an question. obligation. I'm going to say we have to show that bringing this many people of color together in the legislature is going to be uh, make a positive difference. Mm -hmm. and I'm well, going to see that. David, we're going to be following you and supporting you every way we can. And we appreciate your background, your leadership and uh, your uh, plans for serving the people of Washington State. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. It's an honor to be on uh, with leaders of the of our community. And, um, you know, I, I, it's my job to be of service to you. Okay. Well, we'll definitely be in touch on a regular basis, sir, because we look forward to your leadership in Olympia. So thank you very thank much, you. David Hackney. We appreciate it. All right. Bye. Okay. Now our guest is Sade Moore. Congratulations. She just got a promotion. And she's occupying another position, too, but we won't mention that until everything is ready to go. But she's one of the busiest people, and her leadership is, uh, I tell you, I, she is an outstanding leader. So, Sade, there are two things we want to talk about right quickly. Uh, first of all, congratulations. I understand that the title to the property at 22nd and South Jackson 
formerly SOIC, SVI, now the Central District Community Preservation and Development Authority, which will be known as the Reverend Dr. Samuel Barry McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development. So has that uh, transpired yet? Have you guys received the title? So uh, the title transfer from Seattle Colleges to the CDCPDA has been approved by all three parties. Um, the Washington State Department of Commerce, Seattle Colleges, and obviously our board. Um, right now, we are waiting for the formal notification, but everything is ready to go. And that's a major that's a major step uh, because you know how the how the gentrification was going down Jackson. So uh, uh, hopefully, uh, in terms of uh, a lot of people asking me, when will the building be ready to open to serve people in whole classes? and have mm -hmm. tenants in the building. So do you guys have any idea yet on how that process will work and how much time it will take? That's actually a great question. Um, at our last board meeting, we were talking about the later um, and about how we can start you know, occupying uh, spaces, obviously in a safe manner, right? We wanna make sure that the building is up to code, um, and obviously you know, with the current stages of COVID, depending on where uh, the state is um, in allowing, you know, um, the changes in occupancy for 2021. Um, our board president, um, as well as our facility manager, uh, Vice President Gerald Bradford, um, had advised that we probably won't be ready until about Q3 of 2021. Um, that is our goal. However, again, it just depends on um the amount of work that is being poured into the facility. We're coming into winter um, and we have some repairs underway right now with the sixth floor as well as the parking lot and the roof. Um, so depending on how that turns out, which, you know, we're expecting for some of those repairs to be done by Q1, January, February of next year. Um, again, there's a few other elements that need to transpire with uh, Seattle colleges in the state before we can go ahead and start opening the doors. Now, when we do do that, obviously we are going to be making sure that we outsource in the community, um, that the community is aware. Um, my hopes is that we can do somewhat of a community block party, a grand opening event where we bring in some of our founders, all of our founders if we can, um, community members, um, folks that have been sitting on the board and on, our, on some of our steering committees um, can obviously be at that event and help kind of just um, give that that um, that presence that it needs. Again, showing that you know this is a unified effort um, with many hands at the table. Could you uh, could you just let our listeners know uh, like who uh, some of the board members are? Uh, start sure. with the executive committee. Sure. So um, on our executive team, we have uh, myself as the secretary. Um, Gerald Bradford as the vice president, uh, Dr. Rayburn Lewis as the president of the board, and John Yasutaki as our treasurer. Um, we have Reverend Dr. Phyllis Bumonte. We have Patricia Hayden. Um, we have Dr. Carver Gayton. We have Dr. Benjamin Danielson. We have Chikundi Salisbury. We have Mr. Kelly Jefferson. Um, gosh, I feel like I'm leaving somebody out. Um, I'm just thinking here. Uh, I want to say that that's it. Um, we have three board positions that we are uh, going to start filling here soon. Um, we've been reaching out to the selection committee in order to get the names of those um, that were involved at the very beginning. 
Um, but as we are going through paperwork and having those conversations, we're realizing that obviously we're going to have to leverage the community again to open up uh, this nomination uh, application review process to fill um, one of the positions, uh, which was previously held by Mr. Lewis Rudd, um, which is uh, an individual that owns and operates a Black-owned business, as well as two uh, state indoor uh county seats that will be um, uh, pushed forward uh, and or those nominated by the, uh, the legislators. So legislators. So three board positions we still have to fill, um, but those are some of the names of the folks, should be all of the names of the folks that are currently on our board and or executive team. Now, by not having these positions filled, that does not hamper the work or the progress of the board right now, does it? It absolutely does not. Um, okay. The process... Something that I tell people that they don't know, um, for many of us that are on the board, I mean, we have working day jobs. This is a working board. We are doing work day in, day out. Um, emails are going in and out all the time. Um, there's, there's a lot to it. Um, myself, as well as a few others, were having a conversation this morning. Again, just about, you know, over the amount of paperwork um, and documentation and training that is, you know, needs to be done in order to... Uh, hold uh, board positions uh, uh, for this organization. So there's a lot to it. Um, however, you know, again, the end result is going to be immaculate, right? And I think that's, again, what we're looking forward to. Um, we just want to make sure that, you know, what's coming out, it comes out uh, in a way to where um, there, there's no issues um, as far as, like, you know, whether or not, um, questioning if, you know, the board did everything they were supposed to do uh, the right way. Um, it may seem like we're taking our time. Um, there was still a lot for us all to learn um, while, you know, we were um, kind of adopted and were organized as a board. Um, but we're getting there. Again, we're working day in and day out. Um, a few of us, you know, we meet at the facility about two or three times a week just to walk the premises to see what's going on with construction, to make sure we're in compliance um, and kind of just see what we're working with, um, as well as what we'll be able to start offering the community at what point in time um, next year, depending on timeline and construction uh, finalization. Okay, we will have you on to make sure we keep those updates, but why don't you take a couple of minutes and give us an update on the CLMLK Organizing Coalition, if there are any meetings coming up, how can people access information? We know there's this pandemic, but you guys are moving right ahead. Can you share that information with our listening audience? Sure. Uh, last night was a really great meeting. Um, quite a few individuals that joined um, uh, this year, uh, which will be um, our 39th uh, celebration. Um, we'll still be at Garfield, but we'll not be inside of Garfield. Uh, we're going to be working with the school to still have our rally point outside. Um, the logistics piece as far as the route is still to be determined, but we're working with our community members um, in order to gather their input in what those uh, route stopping points should be. Um, our next meeting is on November 17th from 6.30 to 8, and that information can be found on our website at www.seattlemlkcoalition.org. Um, Larry Gossett was on the call last night. He was extremely excited to hear that, you know, we had hired our first uh, youth interns. So we have two youth interns this year um, that are high school students, which is a great initiative that we had brought forth to the entire coalition uh, last year. And we finally pushed forward on it this year. 
Um, so those two individuals are uh, overseeing um, our Young Leaders Program with our Vice President, uh, Bobby Alexander. Um, we are still having our workshops, but those will all be pre-recorded and will be virtual. Um, our Opportunity Fair, uh, from what I understand it to be, is still happening. There's going to be some changes with that as well. But everything is still a go this year. Um, again, anybody that is interested is more than welcome to join in on our Zoom calls and to volunteer as we are always looking for more bodies in the community to support this ongoing uh, huge effort um, that we hold dear to our hearts. Bashade, we will have you on regularly, so you got a lot of updates to do from those two uh, uh, organizations, but you also have another one, and we'll talk about that much later because that's all confidential okay. right now. But thank you very much for all the work you do. Congratulations on your success Absolutely. at Amazon. And uh, uh, so uh, I will be in touch. I'm sorry I missed the, the call last night. I will definitely volunteer to be on the Opportunity Fair and on the fundraising committee. I'll continue to do that especially as one of the co-founders of the organization almost 40 years ago. So thank you very much, Sade Moore. Hey, real quick, real quick, if you want to learn more about what the CDC PDA is doing for the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development, please go to www.McKinneyCentr.com and you can check on the news and kind of see what we're doing as well as um, get the information for our Zoom calls and our agendas. All right. So, Eric, we're going to close out with uh, with the uh, with the break. So, we'll t- Hayward and I will talk to everybody again next Thursday. So, thank you very much today. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. <laughs>